Welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. JJ Jerez here, Arif Dean, both of Mile High Sports, joined by Peter Ball of The Athletic here to break down some more Avalanche hockey for you guys, right? I mean, the Avs kind of take two games from the Coy- from the Coyotes here over the last couple uh, nights, much to uh, the thanks of Val Nachushkin. Um, but I guess, you know, let's start with Arif. I'm sure you're hungry, so we're going to give Peter the microphone right now. Happy Ramadan, by the way, to you, Arif. <laughs> um, you. Peter, have you, ever, have you ever covered a game in Mullet Arena, I guess, to start? I have not. I think both of them have been. One was right after Christmas this year, and then this one's a back-to-back, and I don't always travel for back-to-back. So I've not been to Mullet Arena. I, I think it, it sounds like a really interesting place to go once, and it sounds like a place people probably get tired of going night after night after night. <laughs> it sounded uh i mean it sounded a little bit like in that third period and overtime like it was starting to get a little raucous you can hear like the atmosphere of like a college barn through your tv uh speakers or whatever you were watching on but uh a heck of a lot better than the showing the avalanche had the last time if yes. you know, like you said the game after christmas that was the one where they had to fly in that morning and then play the game that day so didn't go too well the first time yeah, I saw a real concoction of different jerseys in the crowds, right? Just a, a big salad of of everybody going to represent a different team from somewhere across the the two countries mm-hmm. here. And um, yeah, it just seems like it's it's turned into a, an experience that people just want to go see a game there. It doesn't matter who they're really watching. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be around for a few years. So if you don't get into it this year, you're going to have a couple more opportunities probably. <laughs> and Arizona State will keep playing there. So <laughs> you can yeah, have exactly plenty of time. All right. Well, yeah, two games from the Coyotes. And, you know, we know how low the Coyotes are in the standings. But you know, I, I, what we saw in these last two nights was some real pushback from the Coyotes and, and real trying to study the avalanche and maybe just see what they could do to counter. So my question to you guys to start the podcast here is simply what have we learned from these two back to back games against Arizona? Uh, I'm going to say that we've learned something that Peter has been hammering into my brain all season that I refuse to acknowledge. It's that the Arizona coyotes give the Avs problems every damn time they play. Like I know they beat them three to one at ball arena, but uh, you know, it wasn't an easy game in the early going and the avalanche took over late. And then tonight it felt, or today it felt like it was going to be the same thing. And then lo and behold, two, nothing became two, two and then a Val Nachushkin goal. And then suddenly it's three, three, and then it needed a shootout. So for whatever reason, They don't necessarily always beat the Avalanche or get points out of them, but the Coyotes play them well and have for a number of seasons here now. Well, and Connor Ingram is a known Avalanche haunter. They usually find a way to beat him, but he makes it really difficult on him. And um, he maybe wasn't quite the force that he has been in the past tonight, but he he still played decently well and kept Arizona in the game. I I think that... Look, this time of year, the biggest thing is is finding ways to win games. And this was not a good avalanche game by any means. No. They they let the game get away from them. They had kind of an ugly area. They committed some penalties. So it, it wasn't a pretty game. But in an 82-game season, you're not going to have 82 pretty games. And the point is, even against teams that are low in the standings, you've got to find a way to win. And they found a way to do that. I do think that um, the fact that this game got to overtime is is – unfortunate for the avalanche and probably not something they should be thrilled about because regulation wins is the tiebreaker. So that could end up being costly at some point. Um, But they got the two points and that's the the most important thing uh, for them. And, and they found a way to win. I think the big thing is just, they, this was the first time in a little while they'd had kind of one of those lapses where it was like a few minutes when they were going through that 
rough stretch of the beginning right after the holiday break. It felt like there were a few games where they'd kind of allow like for like a five or six minute stretch, just like some bad hockey. And they kind of did that again for the first time in a while. But um, yeah, I'll say it again. They came away with the win and that's the most important thing for them. Yeah, I mean, first place in the Central is up, up for grabs right now. We're seeing a little bit of musical chairs there in the top three. So you mentioned the regulation wins. Do you think that's going to ultimately be a, a difference maker here with 10 games to go? That's a question that we can answer better in approximately seven days. Because yeah. right now, the, yeah, like the, those two games coming up against Dallas and Minnesota, both at Ball Arena, where the Avalanche, by the way, have only won 19 games and lost 17, obviously five in overtime. Um but those two games are going to matter because the way the standings are laid out right now, the Wild have played 73 games. The Avs have played 72. The Stars have played 73. Colorado and Minnesota have 30 regulation wins. Dallas has 32. So let's just say in an ideal world, if Colorado can get that regulation win tomorrow, all the teams would be at 73 games. The Avs would have 94, Minnesota 93, Dallas 92, but they would be below Dallas in the regulation wins. That's when it starts to matter because those two games next week, if you lose to Dallas or if you beat them in overtime, uh, they get a point in the standings and they have the tiebreaker. But if you can beat them in regulation, it's going to be big. Same with Minnesota. You guys both are locked up at that 30 right now of RW. And uh, if, if Minnesota takes you to overtime or if you lose to them outright and they get the regulation win and the two points, it's going to change a lot. So those two games, Wednesday and Saturday, where the Avalanche will have a couple days off in between to really rest and 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 recoup and be ready to go, are going to be the biggest things this season for for the standings. I'll tell you what I learned in that game, and uh, uh, it correlates with that exactly, right? Is that the Avalanche are 100% going for first in the Central right here. We, we've heard it from Jared Bednar, so it's not really a surprise, but by playing Alexander Georgiev in what should be, you know, quote unquote, an easier game for you and not not looking at Jonas Johansson, I think 100 percent tells you their commitment to just stacking wins right now. That's all they're about is just c continuing to get those W's to really try to snag that number one spot. So obviously an important uh, position and a little carrot that I think that the Avalanche are chasing right now. And also, I, I think. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that I, I think that they're definitely trying to stack wins. I think starting Georgiev today was honestly probably because this was the more difficult of the two games on this back-to-back -back. and Bednar said he he plans to use each goalie um on this trip so I would imagine we'll see Jonas Johansson tomorrow and it'll be a big it's a big game for him and it's a yeah. big game for the avalanche and he's shown honestly if you look at his track record he's certainly had some clunkers if you look at the game in Toronto last year where um that was kind of a disaster for him but but he's also come up with some big wins if you remember in uh, 2021, he started the last game of the season against the Kings and the Avalanche needed a win to clinch the president's trophy. And he, he came out and played really well that game. So they need another performance like that from him tomorrow night. And, uh, we'll see, we'll see what he has in the tank. I also think it's good to give, uh, Georgie Monday off because now, you know, it's Sunday afternoon. Georgiev just finished a game. He's going to have Monday and Tuesday off play a game Wednesday, a big game against the Minnesota Wild, and then have another Thursday and Friday off before he plays a big game against Dallas. You know he's going to get both those games, you know, assuming there's no injuries or anything that that stops him from playing those two. You know he's going to want to play both those. The Avs are going to use him in both. And now he has an opportunity to have a couple days off between games, both in preparation of Minnesota and in preparation of Dallas. 
I just look at these last couple games and it's even the the two against the Coyotes, right? And I think Georgiev is a major reason for them pulling out both of those victories because I know the the Coyotes weren't extra threatening throughout the entire six periods that we've watched here, but there were some good chances. There were some really good opportunities that they generated and Georgiev was there to shut them down. So I guess, do you guys think this is the best version of Alexander Georgiev we've seen all season long, what we're seeing right now? This last little stretch, I would say it's certainly up there. I mean, even in the Pittsburgh game, he gave up, I think, four goals, but I think they had 45 shots on him or something. So he's he's playing at a really good clip right now. And I think one of potentially when we look back at this season, that mental break that Bednar gave him where he gave him a couple days off after after a few tough outings, I think that might we might end up looking back at that as a really, really good decision that that the coaching staff made and one that that has benefited him a lot. So um, certainly a a good stretch of hockey. He has a 950 save percentage in his last five. Well, that was going into today. He had a 950 save percentage in his last five games. So certainly been, been playing at a a really high level. And um, yeah, we were talking in the, the media room the other day about where he should rank in the Vesna conversation. And I think he's, probably for me in the five to 10 range. Um, but the fact that the abs are having that conversation about a goalie is, is really um, impressive. It speaks highly of the team considering they let a Stanley cup winning goalie walk last year for a guy who had never been a starter or a regular starter in this league. Yeah. They let a president's trophy winning goalies walk. They let a Stanley cup winning goalie walk after that. Now they've went out and got a guy that's never been a starter before and, you know, pretty much handed him the reins right away. Today was the 54th start of the season. The Avalanche have played, what, 72? So he's played a large chunk of games, 54 to 18 for Georgi games versus games where somebody else has played. And that's pretty wild for a guy that had never seen this type of minutes, these types of starts in the NHL before. And someone who you knew, you know, wanted and was ready for it, but also had just not been proven to do it yet. Yeah, I mean, what you're seeing right here is just the epitome of good avalanche hockey, right? The goaltending showing up. Uh, you're getting uh, you're getting goals out of your stars like Rantanen, like you did today, and then a defensive goal chipped in Byram. I mean, you and I have talked about it lately, Arif. That's kind of the recipe. A little bit of the forwards, the goalie playing hot, and the defense chipping in offensively too. So I know, again, it was just the Arizona Coyotes, but let's give them a little bit of credit because I think they've played the Avalanche not only well in history, but really well these last two nights uh, that yeah. we were able to watch them. And um, yeah, I think e- either way, the Avalanche just getting out with these two victories. I think they're playing some pretty good hockey. They're in a nice rhythm right now. So I, I-, I like the direction they're headed. And I guess the uh, the the heat check on on the Avalanche right now is right where I want it to be. Yeah, and I think absolutely. the other big thing for them, the other big thing for them is uh, their their power play has gotten going. And that was kind of in the middle. It started the season really hot and then it has been kind of up and down for a bit, but now it's been 11 consecutive games in which they've had at least one power play goal. And that's, I mean that look, this team, if it can win the the special teams battle, it's going to win a lot of nights. And that's what it did tonight. I don't think all of Arizona's goals were even strength. I think the Avs had a power play goal. They won the special teams battle one, nothing. And that's the difference in, well, I guess the game going to overtime or the game being an Arizona win. So it's, it's, um, it's certainly been an encouraging development for Colorado. I think Val Nachushkin's looking more and more comfortable. Um, he's almost at a point per game this season. I think he's 42 and 43 games should be 43 and four in 43, but they don't count, uh, shootout goals as, as, as goals. Um, 
but yeah, he's certainly a, um, yeah, an encouraging trend I think is, is definitely the power play. Yeah. Do you know real quick pop quiz where the avalanche rank power play on the season? Right. I'm going to guess like ninth somewhere in that ring. Second. Oh, in the league, in the league. Wow. Cause they were, they, yeah, they, well, they started like up here and have, have kind of dipped. Um, so now they're who's number one. It's still Edmonton. Edmonton's at 31.6. Colorado's way down at 25.6. And then Toronto, 25.4. Tampa, 25. LA, 24.6. Basically, a lot of teams were bunched in there. And the Avs have now gone three for six over the last couple games. And that doesn't even include they had one against Pittsburgh. They had ones before that on the long road trip. Uh, They have climbed all the way up to second. And I can't believe that because just a few days ago, they were seventh, I think, before the first Arizona game. And I was thinking, wow, they've climbed up to seven. So it's rocking at the right time. This, this power play, they, they needed it. They needed it more than ever. And, and it's gotten them to where they are right now in the standings. Yeah. I mean, the addition of Kale McCarr, the reinsertion of Kale McCarr into that power play, I mean, is going to do wonders for it, right? No, no, no shot at Devon Taves. He handled it well while McCarr was gone, but there's just an extra element of danger that comes with Kale McCarr. And, uh, I asked Miko Rantanen about that the other night after the Arizona win. Like, how great is it to just to get that confidence back with all your set guys? And I completely forgot that there's still one key guy that's missing out of that power play in Gabe Landeskog. So not even that full familiarity there with them. But, I mean, I think that comfort and that familiarity with that group now is really what puts them above the rest of power plays because, yeah, you can have – similar structures across the NHL, but it's about your execution. And I think the way these guys know how to work together right now, um, you know, it's second to none, but of course power plays kind of tend to drop in the, in the uh, playoffs. So don't want to rely too heavily on it, but just good to see it operating the way it is right now. Yeah. Arturi Lekkanen. Arturi yeah. Lekkanen is <laughs> also a big part of the the power play. He's so good at digging pucks out mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and power plays, maybe they're, I think the, Sometimes, sometimes later in series, you'll see fewer power plays. But I think, especially early in series, they're they're pretty pretty important. And we saw the power play play a pretty vital role last year in in um, the Avs playoff run. Yeah, I mean that's what I was gonna say. Like I keep forgetting. I mean, you know, you mentioned Gabe Landeskog. I keep forgetting that Arturi Lekkinen hasn't been healthy either. So you're down two of your top six forwards, two of your top six top four wingers, I should say. And uh, without them, you just you got to get the wins any way you can. So if it takes a shootout, if it takes a power play goal against Arizona, like you were saying, not something you want to rely on the entire way in the postseason. Uh, so be it. You got to do what you got to do until you get these guys healthy. It's pretty crazy to say that this feels like the healthiest and like most like put together, well put together team. This the Avs have had pretty much all season. And, you know, Josh Manson is still, you know, expected to make a return at some point. Arturi Lekin is a lot more clear with his return. Uh, and then obviously Landeskog is the one that's a little bit of a question mark. But just even getting a, someone like Darren Helm back and adding him into the lineup has just made everything just feel a little bit more structured. Three of those four names you just rattled off are also guys that t- tend to play on the penalty kill right now, right? I mean, or at any time. So how do you, how do you think the penalty kill is doing? Because you look back at that Pittsburgh game, and that really was the difference in that game for him. Um, you know, Peter lightly brought it up against the game uh, against the Coyotes today. So penalty kill seems to be OK, but I wouldn't say buzzing quite at the level of the power play. Yep. All you, Peter. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been kind of the case for the team all year. There's been stretches where the penalty kill has been really good, but it kind of was the inverse of the power play at the start of the year where the power play was, I think, at a ridiculous clip. And then the penalty kill was among the worst in the league. And it's slowly climbed back to now it's closer to the middle of the league, I think. Um, there's room for room for growth. I think having guys like 
Lackanen and and players like that always helps. I do think the penalty kill lately has looked a little more aggressive in a way that I think is pretty fun uh, where you'll see shorthanded. I mean, Val had a shorthanded chance last Arizona game. Lars Ellers had a couple and he scored on one. Um, Cogliano had a shorthanded chance. So Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of when the penalty kills really going is when they're aggressive and, and oftentimes that leads to chances other ways uh, the other way when they can use their speed. And I think you've seen that a little bit more lately. Yeah, they're exactly middle of the pack on the PK right now. They're tied for that 16-17 spot, so 15 teams ahead of them, 15 teams below them, tied with the, tied with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, the shorthanded scoring opportunities is something that has really picked up. I think early in the season they started strong with that, and then it kind of dipped, but it's it's been uh, it was those two games in a row. I think it was Lars Eller and Val Nichushkin where they had the one against Ottawa on the uh, – no, sorry, not Ottawa. Ottawa was the funky play. They had the one against Detroit. Uh, that was a that was a really nice play between the two of them, and then the very next night, I think they had a big opportunity in that first game back against Chicago. Against you know you just mentioned against Arizona the other day, Nichushkin had that breakaway. So those power those penalty kill scoring opportunities are going to be huge for them, especially if they want to obviously win those special team battles. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. So um, and since the last time we recorded a podcast, Arif, Kale McCarr, Eric Johnson. And Evan Rodriguez all returned to the lineup. So I guess that begs the question, who is going to go to the IR tomorrow night? (laughs) No, but really, really, are you getting similar feelings to last year when everyone kind of became healthy right as the playoffs started and, you know, everything was glitter and rainbows come playoff time? You getting the same vibes? Honestly, it it feels like it. The only difference is this time around, look, we're talking about uh, Arturi Lekkinen, we know Jared mentioned the other day at practice that like that one's a little bit more clear. You know when he's coming back, but Landeskog is a question mark. Trailing slowly behind him is Pavel Francouz, who's also kind of a question mark, it feels like. And I like, wouldn't... Gosh, did you say Landeskog's a question? Like Francouz is trailing behind Landeskog? Like Francouz is... He's almost as big a question mark as Landeskog. Oh, yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. So, so Landeskog's obviously top seed in terms of question marks. Frankie is a little bit behind him. And then Josh Manson's a little bit of an interesting one because that went from he's going to play games in March to suddenly like now Jared's going more the hmm, we'll see kind of approach with him where it's he hasn't even started skating yet. So who the heck knows what's going on there? But that's a player that if he's, you know, 75, 80 percent, pick an arbitrary number healthy. I'm sure he'll, he'll want to get in for some playoff games. Uh, but, you know, as Jared said yesterday, when we talked to him about Gabe Landeskog, like at this point, getting healthy for this team means getting everybody except for 92. If 92 comes back, it's a luxury. But Jared said yesterday, he's got to prepare for these games with the guys that he knows are going to be healthy. And right now, Gabe Landeskog's not a guy that he expects back at any point here in the near future. Well, he didn't say he doesn't. Ex- he said he's still hopeful it could happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he, he it, it's, I mean, it's clearly the Landeskog situation has gone from, he's going to be out 12 weeks to he's going to be out a little longer to now there's uncertainty that wasn't yeah. there before. So I think that we'll see Atlantis Gog's body continues to respond as he, as he ramps up and, and obviously the abs, I think really will probably need him if they want to make a, another run at winning back-to-back cups. But um, it, it's going to be a, a challenging road, no matter who they have on the roster. And if they yeah. enter the playoffs shorthanded, that's going to be, 
one thing that last year's team didn't have to deal with. Last year's team entered the Nashville series fully healthy for the first time all, all season yeah. and, and looked really good from the jump and Nashville entered banged up and looked the opposite. So it, it, health is a big, big question mark. And um, so I, I don't necessarily have the same vibes as last year, JJ, to answer your question. That doesn't mean that they won't have similar success, but this hasn't been as smooth a season as last year. We've seen kind of maybe some more hiccups where last year's team after losses, you rarely would see back-to-back losses. This year's team at points has let um, losses kind of pile on top of each other. But I also think this last little bit has been um, a really encouraging bit of hockey for the Avs. They're taking advantage of an easier schedule. Um, you're seeing the big guys kind of come up and, and produce. And if they're, if they're healthy entering the playoffs, they're going to be a formidable force, even if, even if 92 is not available. I know you have to kind of play the schedule that's ahead of you, and it helps that you're playing teams like Arizona and Anaheim. But I think it's a really, really good thing that this team did not let that Pittsburgh loss turn into yes one or two or three, you know, pilot like tonight, like they didn't lose tonight in today in regulation after giving up that two to nothing lead, because after the all-star break, like the abs entered the all-star break, I believe, you know, winning a few games in a row. And then after the all-star break, they had that weird hiccup where like Pittsburgh tied it up late and beat them in overtime. They got destroyed in, in Tampa. Tampa came here and beat them in the shootout. They obviously won in Florida. So they had lost three or four. And then it happened again with LA Seattle and, whatever other loss was mixed in there. They had like lost three or four games before this most recent six game winning streak. And then they lose to Pittsburgh and they quickly rebounded with two straight wins. And they're going in to play the Anaheim ducks on a Monday, a game that you want to win as well. So I'm like, you know, very pleased with them not letting the Pittsburgh loss turn into, like you said, those pylon losses, because even in this, whatever it is stretch now, since the 40 game mark, 23, six and three, like, those six and three, those nine games that they haven't won have all kind of come in bunches because they've had a six game winning streak in every single month since the new year. I mean, we talked about how extra upset they were after that Pittsburgh loss, knowing kind of what they let slip through their fingers. I think it's no surprise that they bounced back kind of with a, a little bit of anger, a little bit of sandpaper like they, they did these last couple uh, games. But, you know, I look at guys like EJ and Rodriguez, and it's nice to get them back into the lineup and, and get some runway into the playoffs. And then I look at guys like Manson and Lekkonen, and, you know, those are guys that you might not see again until game one of the playoffs. So I know each decision is circumstantial, but if you guys were in charge, what do you what do you think is better? Kind of getting that last little stretch of games to really get some uh, get your feet under you, get some momentum heading into the into the playoffs or having as much rest as humanly possible and and getting the go in game one. I think it depends situation by situation. I think if you're able to get 100 percent or close to 100 percent in time to get a couple games in, I think that matters because I think timing is hard to pick up on the fly. Um, I, I think that it, if you're not a hundred percent, it's probably not worth damaging something further so that you can get some of the rust knocked off. You probably want to wait until the playoffs, but I, I, I don't think it's a one size fit fits all situation. I think it really is a case by case basis. Yeah. I mean, just look at Gabe Landeskog as an example. It went from like, you know, as long as he gets 20, 25 games, he'll feel up and running to like, ah, as long as we get him back by the trade deadline to ah, as long as he plays 10 games to now it's like, who cares if it's game seven of the Stanley Cup final, if the dude's healthy, play him and that's a win. Like it's, it's going to be circumstantial with all these guys case by case basis, because I mean, look, any, any one of these guys, you'll take them like 
you know, no disrespect to the guys at the bottom of the lineup, but I'm sure you would take Gabe Landeskog, Rusty, not having played in 10 and a half, 11 months, then, I don't know, Dennis Malgin or Matt Niet or name your guy on the on the fourth line that would probably sit when Landeskog is healthy, if he gets healthy. So, like, you're just going to have to play it game by game, case by case. I don't think the Avalanche are in a position like today, Boston sat, Bergeron had a illness but Hampus Lindholm and Brad Marchand also sat for what they called nagging injuries which is basically uh who cares we've got the Eastern Conference locked up we've got our playoff spot locked up and even in a game against the second place Carolina Hurricanes we have the luxury of saying Lindholm and Marchand are going to take a seat and enjoy some rest the Avalanche don't have that luxury this year so you just you get the guys when you do and the other thing with some of these guys is is like Landeskog, for example, if he's able to come back, timing obviously matters, but he does yeah. so many things that I think as long as he can skate, he will be able to do at a high level, even if he doesn't fully have his timing, namely net front presence and getting kind of screening and stuff like that, that, that the abs have really missed this year. So it, it depends on the, the player, but I, yeah, the abs certainly don't have the luxury of, of resting guys who are a little banged up like they did last year at points. Um, and, and we're probably going to see that down the stretch because they're going to have to push pretty hard um, because I think that getting winning the division really matters this year. I, I don't think you want to play Dallas or Minnesota in the first round. You'd much rather face a Seattle team that's a good team but doesn't necessarily have the same level of game breakers or experience or players that really scare you to that level. So it, it's going to be an interesting final stretch, and I think the abs are going to control a lot of it by how they do and next week when they host both Minnesota and, and Dallas. Yeah, two two big games there. You want to play a wild card team, and it's like you said, it's looking more like Seattle. But if you find a way to play Winnipeg as well, even with a Connor Hellebuck, you would much rather have that series than playing Minnesota or Dallas in the first round. Not that you can't beat Minnesota or Dallas in the first round and then face the other in the second round and you know have the confidence to beat them too. But ideally, you don't want to have to do that. We'll dive deeper into playoff scenarios and, and standing storylines here in a second. But, uh, you know, I just only reason I asked that question is because I kind of like the balance of having some guys rested and having a decent enough lineup to still be able to compete. It's almost like, you know, when swimmers um, are practicing swimming, I believe they use what's called drag shorts, right, which are just shorts that are going to make it a little heavier, a little harder for you to swim while you're practicing. And then, you know, when you go to your meet, you're, you're in your little speedo, much lighter, much faster, much slimmer. It, it feels like that to me would it'd be such a great strategy and concept. Just kind of go with this 85 percent full lineup. And then once playoff comes, you got everybody back and, yeah. and getting some extra guys the extra rest they needed. I mean, hey, if that's if that's the way you got to explain how this do you like the gone. imagery there? No, no, I love speedos. it. That's, <laughs> that, that's a great way to explain it. But, you know, the avalanche would have loved to have their speedos from game one. I guarantee you <laughs> having speedo Landeskog would have been so much better for this team from the first game than po- possibly getting him back in like halfway through the second round or something. But you know what? They're still one of the better teams in the NHL right now. They're 43 wins are tied with teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs, even though they're behind in the standings because of OT lost points. Like they are right back to where they belong in terms of uh, being one of the better teams in the NHL. I believe they're eighth in the NHL in points percentage. So uh, they're doing this with, like you said, the 85%, sometimes a far smaller number than that in terms of how many guys were healthy, but you just you, it's, it's a lot of luck plays into this stuff. And like we've seen so many times this year two come in, 
two more exit. And then another guy got healthy. And then suddenly you lost Lekkanen and then Rodriguez in two out of three games. Well, now Rodriguez has come back. EJ's come back. Darren Helms come back. Kilmacar's come back. You're starting to feel good about it. Uh, you just hope that that unluckiness doesn't strike again and knock somebody else out of the lineup. 100%. Good point. I hope everybody uh, was able to hear that point after you putting the image of Gabe Landeskog in a Speedo in everybody's <laughs> head. Um, so let's take a quick break for our buddies over at Superbook Sports, guys. Make 2023 the year you beat Vegas. Superbook Sports gives you the chance every single week to go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the pond settling for setting lines for American sports, just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at the Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets anywhere. So download the Superbook Sports app now or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. I just realized that Val Natrushkin's on a six-game point streak. He's played well lately. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't, have of, any, he didn't have anything in Toronto in the game before that. He had three points. So points in seven of his last eight games, and he's just been incredible in this stretch. And it's the intangibles that do it for me. I mean, it's, it's you got to watch him live and really, you know, when take your eyes off the puck and see those small things he's doing, especially when it's forechecking, when it's penalty killing. He just plays these little mind games with um, the opponents that that makes it tough. And, you know, typically that next pass they make is, is a, a fumbled pass or, or straight into a turnover. And Lekkanen brings that same thing too, right? And I was going to bring that up during our penalty kill conversation. So once you get a guy like Lekkanen back in, in the lineup too, I mean, the chaos that those two bring on four checks is, is unmatched. Yeah. I'll never and- forget last year, one of the first games when, when they got – uh, after they got Lekkanen, they played Pittsburgh and Chris Letang just getting harassed by Lekkanen and yeah, Matushkin trying that. to get out of the zone. Yeah. It, was, it was very funny. That was the day where the uh, quote that I've used, how many times now, JJ? Uh, Mini, are you going to say Mini Val? Bingo. It's been, <laughs> that was it's the day that over Jared, Bednar, Jared Bednar called him Mini Val. I love that line. From the moment he said it, it was just like, yep. This is exactly what Lekkanen is. And that was a moment where I knew the Avalanche did a great job at the trade deadline. All right. Well, standings watch, guys. Uh, we could do West or East, but I just want to know some of the some of the storylines you guys are following across the league. I mean, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of movement, and everybody's waiting with uh, bated breath for this Eastern Conference playoffs. So what are some things you're keeping an eye on, maybe not Avalanche-related necessarily? Um, I'm curious of... If Pittsburgh, I don't think Boston is going to be very hard to beat in the first round, but the one matchup that I would be really interested in as a first round matchup for Boston is if the Islanders slip to eight and Boston play to the second wild card and Boston has to face Sorokin because the Islanders, I mean, that's a team that, that has some playoff experience, has a goaltender that I would argue has had as good a season as anyone this year and, and really could, could maybe, make life a little more difficult than Boston would be comfortable with. I still don't think it would go past five or six games, but I think it would be, be a little bit, a little bit of fun to watch. And I, I would, I'd be interested in how a series between those teams would, would shake out. I've been talking about that for weeks now, having Sorokin and the Islanders go up against Boston is, would be like two of the last three years. The Islanders were in the Eastern conference final the year they weren't, they missed the playoffs entirely. So their last two times in the playoffs were, you know, and it's a different team. Like, you know, they have Bo Horvat now, uh, they don't have Devon Taves, but then it struck me. They didn't even have Devon Taves in 2021. Like they had him in 2020, they lost him and they still took Tampa Bay to game seven in 2021, the very next year. Uh, so 
that series would be a lot of fun. The one that I'm keeping an eye on is the team in the Western Conference that nobody's talking about. Nashville? No, it's the LA Kings. Mm. Like, I, I mean, obviously some people are talking about them, but like Edmonton's getting a lot of, you know, talk for obvious reasons. Connor McDavid's about to hit 140 points. Leon Dreisaitl's got a new career high and all the other things they're doing. Matthias Eckholm is a great addition. Vegas has bounced back and rebound. Minnesota doing what they're doing with 10 or $14 million less in salary cap than every other team in the NHL because of those buyouts. Dallas is big season. Colorado coming on strong here. But the LA Kings, with the addition of Jonas Corposalo, has given them exactly what they need. They're 8-0-2 in their last 10 games. They're four points back of Vegas with a game in hand. They are one of the better teams in the NHL this year. Uh, in terms of offensive production, they're 24, nine and four on home ice. That's a team we got to talk more about because Andre Kopitar and Philip Deneau are going to give a lot of teams, a lot of problems here. That's what I've been saying lately. I, I think there are two teams in this Western conference that really, you know, make me a little bit nervous if the avalanche match up against them. One of them's the LA Kings. The other's the Dallas yep. stars, just because what we've seen in past uh, seasons and, and contests and sorry, I've got a cat trying to enter the show here. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I think even Minnesota strikes a little bit of fear in my heart just because I know how physical they can play. So like you brought up earlier, Peter, I think the Avalanche try to do everything they can to avoid playing either the Stars or the Wild if, if, if it's at all in their control. Yeah, and I think the Wild had a really good deadline. I think they added yeah. guys who I think Klingberg's a really good addition. I think Sunquist is a good player. I think um, Klingberg, Sunquist, Johansson, Marcus Johansson. And, and Gustav, Gustav Nyquist, who hasn't played yet. All, all they, the Swedes. They all went the all Swedes. Swedes. Yep. They went yeah. all Swedes, and it's been it's been pretty dang good, which is pretty wild given their salary cap situation. That they well, I think they had they had some salary cap flexibility this year. I think next year is when the the buyouts really. That's when. Let me look. No, that's no, I the, think this today this year was the first year. That's why they had to lose Fiala. It's three straight tough years, and this is the first one. Uh, yes, but next year's a little more 7.3, yeah. but they had, so, uh, they had some, they had cap space to work with at the deadline. I'm not completely sure how, um, but I, but they did have some cap space to work with because they're still, um, they're still at like 81 million on the cap and, yeah. and they still have some, and they were retaining cap for, um, for different teams like. Orlov and O'Reilly. Yep. Yeah, Orlov and O'Reilly. So, so they had some room this year. I'd have to look back at exactly how they managed to do that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely going to get tighter for them next year with um, a lot of UFAs coming up and a lot of RFAs that they're going to have to to sign and Boldy's seven million kicking in. Yeah, underrated deal acquiring Philip Gustafson for Cam Talbot, not just because Gustafson's been having a great season, but because he only makes $787,000. Obviously, they also, since the beginning of the season, have gotten rid of Tyson Jost on waivers. That cleared up $2 million. They traded Jordan Greenway. That cleared up over $3 million. So they found a way to kind of move some guys out, use that cap space to bring other guys in. So. Minnesota looks dangerous. Uh, LA looks dangerous. I mean, all these teams look dangerous. Vegas looks like a team that Vegas, I think, broke an NHL record yesterday. They've won four straight games with four different goalies getting the victory each night. Like, it's just wild what they're doing with their goalie carousel. And Edmonton, I mean, what can you say about Connor McDavid that hasn't already been said? He's at 139 points. He's one point away from 140. He's 16 
points in his last nine games away from tying Steve Eiserman for the most points in a single season by a player not named Gretzky or Lemieux. That's a very weird stat, but the top 12 seasons in the NHL have all been Gretzky or Lemieux. Number 13 is Steve Eiserman at 155. And Connor McDavid could pass that. So the Oilers obviously are dangerous because of that too. So it's going to be a battle in the West. It's going to be a very rugged kind of battle, different from what you're going to see in the Eastern Conference, different from what you saw in the West last year. But uh, the Avalanche, they should have what it takes, with or without Landeskog. You have a strong defense. You have McKinnon. You need health otherwise, and having 92 would obviously be a big boost. You know what they say in regards to the Vegas Golden Knights. If you have four goalies, you have none. <laughs> right that's the saying um no the other story we're watching too calgary only four points behind the winnipeg jets for that final wild card spot with eight games to go do they do they make it a contest or does winnipeg back their way into that final spot i think nashville's more of a threat than calgary yeah i think calgary's done calgary the just, are, they just can't win bad. yeah they just can't win their damn games like they're four points back with the same amount of games nashville is five points back with three games in hand which again when you have three games in hand, you got to win those three games. And with 11 yeah. games left, that's pretty tough. So like even them, it's looking a little bit grim, but I would give them more of a chance than Calgary at this point. Calgary's really, I mean, Winnipeg's really kind of give, given some games away late, yeah. but yeah. Calgary has had so many chances where it looked like, Oh, maybe they could, they could get in it. And then they lose to some really bad teams and, and they've, I don't know. The vibes feel off there. It doesn't really feel like doesn't feel like they deserve. I mean, I, I don't want to say they don't deserve it, but they certainly I mean, I think the numbers bear out right now that they haven't deserved yeah. it up to this point. Yeah, they yeah. they've had a lot of weird games. I don't know what's going to happen with their coaching. I feel like Daryl Sutter might be on the way out. Who knows? That's just like a hunch. But they've had a lot of games here in the last several weeks where. Jonathan Huberto would play 13 minutes or Nazem Kadri would play 14 minutes. And, and it's just been very, there's something off with the coaching, with the morale of the team. Uh, I just, I can't see them having a chance this year. I think they might come guns blazing next year if they make a couple changes, but this year it just doesn't seem like it. Those quote unquote bad teams have caused, caused some fits a lot throughout this uh, regular season. So all the more reason to give the avalanche the respect they deserve for getting that win today, even though it took them uh, to a shootout to get it. Yeah. I mean, Minnesota just lost to Philadelphia, so it happens. You got, you got to not let it happen. Like Minnesota wild fans are looking at that game saying, we just blew an opportunity to get ahead of the abs while the abs are like, Oh my God, we had to take a shootout to beat Arizona. We're like, this stuff happens, man. Like Vancouver, the other Vancouver just beat Dallas. Minnesota just beat, uh, just lost to Philadelphia. Like it happens. So if you're the avalanche, you're fortunate. You got the two points. However, you can get them. Yeah. And with that, Anaheim's not somebody to look past tomorrow. Right. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're a team that causes fits for, for other good teams and tends to take people to overtime. So not somebody to, to just look past. So yeah, ducks tomorrow, Minnesota on Wednesday, pretty uh, big week as the avalanche continue to climb the standings i guess uh, i know we got to get out of here guys so closing thoughts regarding the week ahead couple big games yeah I... <laughs> it's exciting these are the first like games in a while where it's gonna be home games that maybe feel i mean that that really have kind of tangible playoff implications yeah. obviously there's kind of been the ones that you think, oh, they that are lucky to get those points. Oh, they should have gotten those points. But but these are the ones where it's the head-to-head matchups that are really fun. 
Um, and and we'll see if the Avs can put up a better effort than they they did against Dallas a couple weeks back when they got smoked in Dallas. Yeah. So it's it, it's a big game, and it'll decide who wins the season series too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, both of these games are going to be huge. We saw at, right after the All Star break and right before it, the energy at Ball Arena started to ramp up. It was that game against St. Louis where uh, Georgie skated to center ice when Bennington was having his little tantrum, and then there was a game against Edmonton where they trailed three nothing and came back and beat them. There was a game against Calgary where Nazem Kadri made his return. A lot of high energy, high intensity, like really loud crowds at Ball Arena. And it's kind of dipped lately because, I mean, like, you know, it's been the Arizona's. The Pittsburgh game was a little loud, but, you know, the Avs kind of. And a lot of Penguins fans in there. A lot of Penguins fans. That was the biggest thing. The Avalanche couldn't really get a hold of that game to to give the crowd something to cheer for, it seemed like. But uh, there was a lot of, you know, the Arizona's and the Chicago's and all these games where you're just San Jose, the shutout game. Like, just not a lot of teams that you're playing that are going to be competitive. Minnesota and Dallas are going to be intense games with crazy loud audiences. 8 p.m. on Wednesday, Saturday at 7 p.m. That's It's going to be so much fun, and I can't wait. Big time implications. Strap in. You know, Bingo. Arif and I will uh, be here to break all that down throughout the week. So, I guess everybody enjoy the uh, final 10 games here. Strap in and playoffs right around the corner. So most exciting time of the year. And the Avalanche just happen to be playing some of their best hockey of the year right now. So good times in Avalanche land. So thanks for hanging out with us today in the podcast. Um, fun podcast. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Always a pleasure to have of you. Um, yeah. Like I said, we'll be back later in the week. Eric and I to, to break down more stuff. So if you made it this far in the podcast, bless that pretty little heart of yours. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you. Thank you.